The Lord is slow to anger, merciful and kind. He's so good. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? You know, one of my favorite things is to be unneeded when I'm a worship leader. Thanks, Phil. Unneeded as a worship leader. Isn't that the best thing? I, I, this team is amazing. It just blows me away. Can we give them a hand? You can be seated. Sorry. The best thing is when in ministry, you know, sometimes we want to feel needed, but the best thing is when um, you aren't needed, you know, when you can be replaced. And that's an amazing thing. These people are awesome and lead us straight to the throne of God. Um, welcome to church. If you haven't picked up on it, I, I'm usually the worship leader on Sundays, but this morning I get to have the honor of um, fulfilling this pulpit, which is a table this morning. And um, my name's Eric, so we're just welcoming you here if you're first time. I'm not regularly preaching, but um, we're so glad you're here. And we are hopping into our fourth and last week of Malachi, subtitled Crushing Spiritual Apathy. Um, today is our last chance together as a family to come around this idea and battle apathy together. And so basically what I'm going to do this morning is give kind of an overview of what we've covered before and, and make, make a final case for crushing apathy together. And then we're going to respond to that. Is that, is that cool today? It's very important. Amen. Yeah. We're excited. That's awesome. So, um, Malachi is the last book of the old Testament and, um, there's some hard things to understand, especially if you're new to the faith or if you, if you aren't, um, you know, if you haven't been church for a long time. That's okay. We're glad you're here. We're so happy that you're here. Um, Malachi is in the Old Testament. So this is before Jesus. And I'm, I can't cover the whole Old Testament, but the basis is, is that um, Israel is God's chosen people. God chose a people to be set apart for him. And we're going to skip Abraham. We're going to go to Moses. And in Moses, God made a covenant with Moses for his people. And that is when we find the law. That is when the law was given. That's where we find the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure everybody here is somewhat familiar with. And then um, the issue is, is that over time, after the law of Moses, these Israelites, they've made a covenant, which means I, I am in and I am in. This is a thing together, two parties coming together. Well, the Israelites didn't do a very good job at keeping that covenant. It's like a marriage, and they just kept being unfaithful. And over time, God um, is merciful to them, and then he, he um, reprimands them, and then he's merciful again, and then he reprimands them, and he's merciful again. And then ultimately, um, God um, punishes them by sending a, an ad- adversary, by sending another um, nation, Babylon, to come and to uh, take them captive, to pull them out of the promised land that they were given, and they were put in exile. It's like a, like a holy and spiritual time out. Um, for God's children. And so um, Malachi, again, is the last book of the Bible, and this is where we jump back in. The Persians have taken over Babylon, and they've set out a decree that the Israelites can come back to their homeland, to the promised land. And so many of them did, and this is a time of promise and hope. They think, yes, we can come back, and we can do a better job. We're going to fulfill the law. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to love you, God, and we're going to come back and build a temple again. And then they started to fill a temple. And church, as we learned these last three weeks, how long did that last? Not very long. Humans, right? The Israelites um, ended up doing the same thing again. They sinned against the Lord. They lost sight of him. They started to defile their sacrifices. They started to break the laws that the Lord has given. They were unfaithful again. We learned that the men started to um, leave their wives for women of other nations, people not chosen, and started to take upon their gods um, and start worshiping idols, basically. And so that's where we jump in. And so Malachi comes on the scene, and he's a prophet 
of God. And um, God speaks through um, Malachi because of uh, their return to sin. Now, I hope that um, we're understanding something over these four weeks. This, this is the biggest thing we have to understand now. This is the last week, so it's our last chance to understand this. But what we're trying to say and what I think we know we're trying to say is that we are the Israelites, right? That's, that's the point. We are the Israelites. We're not literally the Israelites. And, well, maybe some of us here have that lineage. But the, the fact is, is that every one of us has some Israelite disobedience in us. All of us struggle with apathy. There is not one immune. It really is the biggest struggle of the American church, and I'm going to unpack some of that later, but this is a fundamental thing. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And humans tend to not be able to change unless God changes them. We are unable to change unless God changes them. We see this in the story of Israel as they try to change and as they try to change and as they try to change. And God doesn't change. The covenant doesn't change. But the people stay the same even though God is calling them to change and to worship well. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have a four-year-old. And um, um, I can see she's very obedient and so wonderful. But even in my sweet baby girl, I can see the fall of man. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, we are all sinful by nature. We all have the fall within us. We can't change without the Lord. And I just wanted to share this one story because it was kind of funny. The other day we were eating soup and Elowen, my four-year-old, well, she turns four in a couple weeks. Um, she was putting her hand in her soup and Ashley and I were like, baby girl, (laughs) you've got to stop doing that. You know, leveled with her, like, you know, like God leveled with the Israelites. You've got to stop doing this. Not that, you know, putting your hand in soup is crazy sin. But this just shows an illustration. And I was like, okay, are you going to stop this? And do you understand why we don't do this? Yes, Dada. And I'm over here. And then I look over, and Elowen is looking straight at me with her finger hovering the soup bowl. (laughs) And looks straight into my eyes and goes... (laughs) Needless to say, um, Elowen was exiled to Babylon. (laughs) And um, which was in the form of... Our timeout chair, um, which, you know, I go and have a talk with her again, and then what does she do? She, you know, this is, this is the nature of man. This is what we deal with. And that's a funny illustration, but it's dire and true that we are in sinful in nature. That is our bent to go against the Lord. Now, when we look at Malachi, and because we are like the Israelites, this is a hard word because God has some harsh things to say to, to the Israelites, and we have to kind of adopt those harsh things and, and look, look at them and listen to them. But I want to say before we dive in that, that um, anytime we see God come on the scene um, like this, it is a warning, but he always gives hope. He's a merciful God, slow to anger, like we said before. And the, the call to crush apathy is a difficult one, and it stings. It's a process that audits our entire being. It's a process that says, Lord, I'm going to allow you to search me all the way. To, it's almost like a scan. Like we step in and it's just like mm, scanning everything within us. And it audits what is of the Lord and what isn't. What does not belong? And this is a call to crush apathy. It's a call to get rid of everything that doesn't belong. It's a call to step into our purpose. But it's to say that God's correction is actually his mercy. When we read Malachi, it's, it's a hard word. 
but it's actually his mercy. And this is why. God is God. And he has told us how to be. He has given us um, what he desires, his requirements. And because he is God, he doesn't have to correct us. He doesn't have to parent us, if you will. He could just destroy us, right? It's his mercy. And it tells us a little bit about the role of a prophet. When we see a prophet in Scripture, the prophet's job, especially in the Old Testament, is to hear vertically from God and to share horizontally to the people. This is the way of calling God's chosen people back to holiness, back to their purpose. It's a way of of calling them back into alignment with their covenant. Malachi means my messenger. And this is what I want to say about a prophet. When God sends a prophet, there's an opportunity for mercy. Why would God send a prophet if he didn't still believe that his people had a chance to come back? Why would he go through the trouble? He could just give up on us. But when he sends a prophet, he has not forsaken us. Even when we have forsaken him. And God loves us so much, like a perfect father. Ultimately, he would go through the, um, the process of sending his son to die on a cross as the ultimate prophet. As the ultimate mercy. Because we, are, we have forsaken him. And when he, he sends us, gives us a choice to come back to him. To realign ourselves with his covenant. Amen? So today we're going to hear this message from Malachi. We're going to hear these words today as an opportunity to come back to the Lord. No matter how far we've wandered this morning, there's hope. No matter how hard these words are, there's an opportunity to come back into realignment with the Lord. It's really his grace and his mercy. And we come into the house grateful this morning that the Lord would come to us and say, my child, come back to what I've called you to be. Be who I want you to be. So let's talk about what apathy is. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, I just want to define for us. In our context, I made a list. Apathy is an empty faith life. It's half-hearted worship. It's, the just, it's, it's justifying acts of sin, and it's those who have taste for this world. It's the pew-sitter. The, Chris, the Christmas and Easter Christian, it's the one who comes to church week in and out, week in and week out, but doesn't allow change. It's the one who does the bare minimum. It's the one who holds onto their possessions and money, who sees it as an inconvenience to give and to do the things God's asking them to do. It's the one with an idea of God without love of God. It's the Sunday Christian, the one who claims the kingdom but looks like the world. An apathetic is one who walks in the flesh and not in the spirit, who takes the word as a suggestion, not a mandate or a lifeline. This is the apathetic Christian. And I want to take it out a different angle. Do we know what the prosperity gospel is? I've been, I've been praying and I just, I feel like apathy is a different prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, if you don't know, is, is a false teaching in the Christian world that if you come to the Lord, God will bless you with unbelievable physical wealth. And, that, and it, it's really, it, it, it's a bad thing for the poor because the poor bring everything they have and they're given promise that they're going to receive all of these blessings. It's not a biblical teaching. God can give us physical blessing, but it's, it's not. Ultimately, we have our inheritance in the Lord in heaven, and that's what the Lord promises us. But the, pro, the, the different prosperity gospel, the apathetic prosperity gospel, is an emotional and spiritual prosperity gospel, not a physical wealth prosperity gospel. It's offerings of blessing and grace and favor with little to no cost to the Christian. You'll have prosperity just because 
but it's no cost to us. That's the, that's the apathetic gospel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, a great Dietrich Bonhoeffer, talks about cheap grace in, his, in one of his books. It says, cheap grace or apathetic Christianity, as we're calling it, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate in us. God's calling us this morning <laughs> to become unapathetic. That's the wake up. That's an alarm. Wake up call. So how do we see um, apathy represented by the Israelites in Malachi? This is very important. There are two ways. There are two things that we see that are scary in the Israelites in Malachi. And I think as we read these things, we, we can start to apply them to ourselves. Number one, they lost sight of who God is and what he required of them. They lost sight of who God is and what, they requi- what he required of them. Number two, and this is really scary, they seemed to not know they were apathetic. And the reason why this is scary is because we established before, we are the Israelites. If, if, if in the Bible um, we see an example of humanity able to do these things, then we are also able to do these things. And in Malachi, we see a series, basically the book is, is um, um, packaged by some proclamations from God and then some responses from the people. And these responses show where they truly are. It shows their true heart. I'm going to read some of them. Actually, it's all of them on your screen. I, I unpacked all of them. Uh, there are four chapters in Malachi. These are um, one through, chapter 1 through 3. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Kind of an arrogant position from the Israelites, isn't it, to, to God? There's no, there's no chance that, the God, that God stopped loving them. But that's their position and they've, they've lost sight of him. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And you say, what a burden. So they're starting to say it's a burden to follow the Lord. It's a, it's a burden to give tithe. It's a burden to sacrifice our good choice animals. You have wearied the Lord with your words. They said, how have we wearied him? It's this conflict. They have lost sight of where they are in position with the Lord. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? They discontinued giving their tithe and and their assets to the church, to the temple. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out these requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? They lost sight of who God is and what he required of them. And they seemed to not know that they were being apathetic. They were obviously blind, and this is, how, this is how the enemy lies to us, even today. One of his biggest ploys is to skew the expectations God has for, uh, has for us. Does that make sense? The enemy skews the expectations God has for us. He belittles them. He distorts them. This is what causes apathy. This is the idea of saying, oh, God really isn't. He isn't really asking me to give everything I have, or he isn't really asking me to die to self every day. We don't actually need to pick up our cross and follow him. This is just a metaphor. We start to belittle the things that God is asking us to do, and we start to enter into a different life outside of what God has actually asked us to do very blatantly in the Bible. This creates bitterness against God, and this is why when we pray He corrects us. 
And when we read the Bible, he corrects us, and we start to feel like he's being unreasonable. And the reason why we think he's being unreasonable is because we've, we've lost sight of his expectations towards us. So we're expecting a much lighter ask on us. And then when he does come on the scene, God, this is unreasonable. I don't really need to do this. And we, we become upset when we, when we receive correction instead of blessing. But it's because God is always going to engage us where we are. Does that make sense? He's not going to just pour out a blessing without um, speaking to our apathy He's going to take us where we are. It's a good father. It's, it's like the, the teenager asking for an allowance after doing a really bad job at the chore, right? It's not that the parent hates the teenager after that, but the parent can't give the blessing without the correction. The parent, a good parent, meets the teenager where they are and says, hey, this isn't good. You've got you've to do this right because you need to know the worth of your allowance. Does that make sense? So God is requiring things of us um, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and he is correcting us where we are. And it leaves us in kind of a mundane Christianity because we don't want to step out of apathy, but we want to receive what the Lord has for us. Does that make sense? So we end up in a circle and we get stuck. So why should we crush apathy? I have four reasons, and we're going to unpack these. Um, Number one, We crush apathy for the sake of the glory of God. We were created to praise God, amen? We were created to worship him. Our whole entire being, man, I love that first song. Wasn't it so good? We're gonna praise the Lord. Like this is what we were created for. God is the alpha and the omega and all things point to him. All things were made to worship him and ultimately all things will worship him. We were made to worship him. In Matthew 22, this is familiar A Pharisee asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? In other words, what is the most important thing? What what does it all boil down to? And what does Jesus say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, the first most important commandment. We were made to worship the Lord. And yes, we were created to enjoy life as well. God gave us creation to enjoy. But our enjoyment is made to give him glory. So if in apathy we defile the way he has asked us to enjoy the world or if we enjoy the world without giving him glory, we have stepped out of our purpose. We've stepped out of our purpose of worship. And this is a call to step back into our purpose of worshiping God with everything we have, everything we have. This is going back to one of the sermons which was giving our all in worship, not just on Sundays, but every day. Fulfill your purpose Uh, I love, Sarah said this a hundred times. She had no idea that I was going to say this this morning. But Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This is as if to say we have breath in order to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Number two, for the sake of the church and the kingdom. The church needs Christians who are on fire. Amen. A testimony of a sold out life catches fire to another. There's a song I love so much. It's by Leland, and it's, it's so near and dear to my heart because my, my babies love to dance to this song. We all have a dance party to this song in my house. And I want to read you just, just one stanza. This the whole song. is just one stanza uh, many times, and I love these words. It's kind of a poem. One man wakes, awakens another. Second one wakes his next-door brother. Three awake can rouse a town and turn the whole place upside down. Many many awake will cause such a fuss. It finally awakes all of us. One man wakes with dawn in his eyes. Surely then it multiplies. Isn't that good? I love that. Fiery Christians make fiery Christians. 
It's for the sake of the body, for the sake of the church. We also need spiritual gifts. We are one body, many members, 1 Corinthians says. God has created each of us with spiritual gifts. An apathetic church is one without spiritual gifts active. It it leaves it just up to a few to carry the load. It's the church that says we pay the pastor and so he does it, right? But in reality, the pastor's job is to shepherd But we need evangelists and apostles and prophets and caretakers and healers and teachers and hospitality givers, ones with the gift of discernment, ones with tongues and faith and exhortation and so on. The age of the pastor doing everything needs to end so that the church will come alive in gifts. Amen? So that the body will come alive. God is calling us out of our apathy and into an active body, an active church for the sake of the body. Number three, an important one. You need to step out of apathy for your sake. God's story of redemption with the Israelites is also our personal story. Amen? God redeems on a community scale, and God redeems on an individual scale. The story of the gospel is this, that we are sinners, that we're corrupt, and that we need a Savior. We can't make it on our own. And we have this beautiful Old Testament as, a, as, a, as a, a picture of this over and over and over again. And then we find ourselves in the story like we said. And, 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 and Jesus comes as a Savior. We're in dire need of a Savior. We need to become unapathetic for the sake of ourselves. Malachi prophesies the coming Lord Jesus who will come to sanctify and judge. This is not a popular teaching, but it's the truth. And it's what our Bible says. It says this, that Jesus came as a savior, but he's coming again as a judge. He's coming to judge the living and the dead, as our, 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 our creed says. He's coming to judge us. And he gives us a choice. He gives us a choice to turn to him. He gives us hope and grace. He comes as a prophet of mercy and says, will you turn to me? Will you live for me fully? Chapter 4 of Malachi says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. This is Old Testament. It's a prophecy of the coming Lord. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for, for you, praise the Lord, but for you who revere my name. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out. And frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. This is almost 500 years before the incarnation of Christ. And it's a prophecy of his coming. God gives us an opportunity to lay our lives down and our disobedience down. To step out of our shackles, out of our sin, out of our apathy. For the sake of ourselves, we can receive Jesus as our Savior so that we will stand with him in eternity. He sent his son to die for us. That's why it's crucial that we step out of apathy and come alive in him. It says, receive salvation. Revere his name, is what Malachi said. Revere his name. Number four, for the sake of the world. And um, one through three are actually um, needed to understand. Number four, um, I think we constantly wonder as a church, not this church, but as the church, why we're terrible at evangelism. Can we just call it? We're really bad at evangelism. Every, every, like church meetings across the whole world. How do we get people to come to church? How do we get our people to invite people to church? And it's because, really, it's because of apathy. It's, it's really because of misunderstanding one through 
3, that we live to give glory to God, that, that God wants to establish his kingdom on earth and that pastors cannot do it all, that we need to be active. It's, it's the idea that the gospel is the power unto our salvation and that the world is in desperate need of a savior. In other words, how can we invite someone into something we are apathetic towards? Why would they even want to come? Or why would we invite some, somebody into something that looks just like the world? Right? An apathetic church looks just like everything on the outside of the walls. The best evangelists are the ones who have been changed. Amen? They're the ones who have tasted freedom. They're the ones who have stepped out of chains. Um, there's a gentleman that goes to our church. I'm not going to share his name. I'm going to share details, and that's why. That he's, he's been um, homeless. He's uh, been a drug addict. And um, really, the people of this church saved his life. And he's been coming to church every single week. And he's the best evangelist we have. He's a baby Christian, brand new Christian. Guy brings somebody new to church every single week. In fact, last Sunday night, he brought somebody to uh, the Sunday night service. And she came forward, and uh, she had tears in her eyes. And I'd asked for an altar call, and she came up, and I got to pray with her. And I asked her what was going on. And she said, um, I'm a Mormon. And um, she said, I don't know what to do. Because she felt, the, she felt the presence of the Lord God Almighty. She felt conflicted enough to come to the altar. The best evangelists are the ones who've been changed. Amen. The ones who are unapathetic. And she would have never even been in this church to come and receive prayer if it wasn't for, for our friend who comes here. We need to lay down our apathy for the sake of salvation of the world. Amen. We cannot evangelize the world just because we feel like we have to or because we're supposed to. This is really important. That maybe worked a long time ago, but we live in this information age where there's polarizing um, battles. People are against the truth, y'all. They're absolutely against the truth of the Lord. We can't just share because because we think it's going to work or because we feel like we need to. We need to be a church with power, on fire. This is why Jesus went and, and performed miracles before he taught, because he knew that miracles uh, prepped the heart for the truth. Miracles built faith before he shared the truth. And I love this story about Elijah. Um, Elijah is um, feuding with 450 prophets of Baal. He, he asks them to come to the top of the mountain, and he's feuding with them. He's calling them back to the true God, and he's, he's, he says, okay, well, why don't we both build an altar, and then we'll see whose God is real. And he says, why don't you, um, 450 prophets, verse 1, why don't you build your altar, set your altar, and so they do. And then the prophets of Baal, they, they um, gather on their altar, and they pray, and they cry out, and they say, Baal, come, and they start shouting and shouting, and then um, it says from morning to noon, they prayed nothing. And then Elijah calls out and says, why don't you just do it a little bit louder? He's taunting them. He knows it's not going to happen. And so they start shouting and shouting, and then they start cutting themselves with their swords. It says, because that's what they were accustomed to. This is what false gods will do to you. And, they, and it doesn't happen. And then this is, this is the most wonderful thing. Elijah comes up to his altar, and he calls the people to pour water on his altar three times. It's consumed with water. And this is his prayer, and this is our prayer today. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all of these things that you have commanded. Answer me, Lord. Answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and licked up the water in the trench. And this is my favorite part. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We need power to break through the veil of the information age and people's hard hearts towards the gospel. We can't just tell them about it. We need to be a church on fire for the sake of the world. Amen? We need miracles and signs and wonders. We need to be passionate and alive and resurrected so that the people could hear about the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I know that some, you know, sometimes it feels unachievable to do these kinds of things. Like It's just kind of like out there, a pie in the sky, a mystical, you know. What do we actually do to become unapathetic? It almost seems like we're in this never-ending journey of trying to figure that out. And some of that's actually true because the Lord calls us to pick up our cross and follow him daily, to die to ourselves daily, which means that even in my own life, each day I, I step into something new, a new realization of what is apathetic in me. It's a journey over time. And God will highlight something. And then we go into this process of, Okay, let's work on this one. And, let's, and over time, it becomes not so daunting. It, also, it even becomes joy because we get to become like him. So this is a, a journey. However, God gives us some examples, which is, I'm so grateful for, which actually shows those who do make it, who have done it right. And so we have this in Malachi. And I actually, I don't know if, you, if you've read it since we started this. I was, uh, it gave me hope when I read this. Then, the, then those who feared the Lord. So they do exist. They did exist. There are people there at that time that were doing the right thing. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, prophesying, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his own son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. These were literal people, but this is a prophecy of the coming judgment. In the book of remembrance is a picture of the, the Lamb's book of life that we hear in, um, of in Revelation. The book where our names are written as we become fervent worshipers. As we say yes to Jesus, he writes our name in a book and secures our place in heaven. And these people who feared God, it says fear the Lord, honor his name, and serve him. These people who did that were entered into this book of remembrance so that the Lord would justify them when he acts, it says. There's another place in, in the Bible where God speaks like this, and it's New Testament, so it gives us context. This is the context of the church age. This is the now. This is the church that was in the same period of time that we're in. So, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes the Old Testament apply to ourselves. This is the New Testament. This is post-Jesus here. Jesus shows himself to John when he's in prison on Patmos and asks him to write some letters to the churches. And it's because uh, many of the churches have been unfaithful again. <laughs> Same story. And Jesus says this to the church of Laodicea, and I think that this is especially poignant for the Western church, the American church today. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm or apathetic, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Similar, similar language to Malachi. 
But this is for us. You say, I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, a similar thing that Malachi says about Jesus coming as a refining fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. The similarities are amazing. Some 500 years later that John writes this to the church of Laodicea, he paints a picture that the church believes they're in the right, that they have no need of the Lord, that they are fine, that they're apathetic. They do not realize that they're living outside of the will of the Lord. They believe they're living inside of the will of the Lord. But God said he's going to spit them out, which is a hard word. But there's hope. When there's a prophet, hope comes. He goes on to say, those whom I love, I rebuke. And discipline. So be earnest, or my favorite is zealous, is the ESV version. Be zealous and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is God speaking to John, and in the same breath that he says, I'm going to spit you out, he gives the opportunity to eat with the king of kings. He gives the opportunity to sit with him in victory and to reign with him on a throne in heaven. And reign with him for all of eternity. He gives the same opportunity to us today. It's a call to repent and become zealous. That's what he asks us to do. He's very clear that we step out of being lukewarm and we step out of apathy. And we repent and become zealous for him. And we will dine with him and we will sit on the throne with him for eternity. It's one of my favorite chapters. Repent and become zealous. Crush apathy. Step into your true purpose. So the last thing I want to say before we end is um, kind of funny after this entire sermon. You can't do it. You can't do it. It's not possible. And we see that in the Israelites, right? Certainly they at least tried. And they came back, they had hope, and they said, we're going to rebuild the temple, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. We can't do it. That's why we need the Lord. If you try to, out of shame this morning, do the things that have been asked, it won't work. Nothing out of shame works. It's only out of conviction. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we can do is we can submit. We can say yes. We can posture ourselves to receive from the Lord. We can allow him in. We can seek the face of the Lord. We can say yes to him. We can say, Lord, here is all of me because this is what we have to give. We can't create the fruit of what is going to happen, but we can create the place. We can set the place. We can set the table for the Lord to come in and change us. It says, by his kindness, we repent. We don't just repent because we repent. It's because we experience the kindness of the Lord. His kindness that sends the prophets to change us. His kindness that warns us from the coming judgment. His kindness that sends his son to die on the cross. So let's together, as we end this sermon series, decide to position ourselves for the Lord to change us and to pull us out of our apathetic ways. Amen, church? Can we do that together? 
Can we say yes to him? Can we, can we surrender to him? Can we say, oh, I love that song. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. That's our heart this morning, God. So as we end, I just want to open the altar. We're going to sing one more song. And you can sit in your seat. And, and yeah, thanks, team. You can go ahead and come up. You can sit in your seat and do um, what we're saying. But I think there's something to a physical response. There's a, there's a story in the gospel where Jesus heals a blind man. And we just say, you know, Jesus heals a blind man. But the story goes like this. The blind man is there. And Jesus goes up to the blind man. What does he do? He picks up some dirt. And he spits in the dirt. And he, and he rubs it in the blind man's eyes. Why did he do this? It's so weird. But he did it because I believe that God cares about allowing us to be a part of the miracle by a physical response. What, is, what does he say after he puts the mud in, in the blind man's eyes? He says, go and wash. It's a physical response to what the Lord is calling him to do. So he gets up in the pool, he takes the water, and he washes. He gets to become a part of what the Lord is doing. And so I think that coming forward is so important. It's, it's a physical response. It's, it's, it's um, becoming a part of the miracle the Lord is doing in your life to crush apathy. It says, Lord, here I am. And so I want to I wanna open up this altar. And as we just pray right now, I, I just want to ask you to come forward. And, and to seek so many things have been, have been given to you in this sermon series of ways that we can crush apathy. Everybody in this room has one. And if we want to be the church that says yes to the Lord, that seeks him, and that becomes alive and awake for the sake of his glory, for the sake of uh, the church, for the sake of ourselves, and for the sake of the world, we must say yes to you, Lord, and ask you, God, please come and crush our apathy. We say yes to you, Lord. We're going to open up, and I'm just going to say one more thing before we do. My wife and I have been trying to crush apathy together. We actually, we decided we were going to do this thing. And I just want to testify because it's been amazing. So if nothing else spoke to you this morning, maybe this will, that um, we've been fasting together. We've been worshiping. We've been cutting out things in our lives that don't belong, sin, habitual stuff, generational stuff. And we've just been seeking the Lord together. And I'll tell you what, it has been amazing. I've had more victory over sin in this season than I've ever had. Our, our marriage is better than it's ever been. We're pressing in. I can see my home is changing. My life is changing. The Lord is doing a work in his body. And he's crushing apathy. And it's amazing what he can do. So I just want to leave you with that.